Luke 23, 44 through 49 says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breast. And, as, and all his acquaintance and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, Pray the Lord my soul to take. I did not just give you permission to sleep through the sermon, by the way. Those words have been around for a little over 200 years now. Uh, they were first printed in a, uh, a children's uh, book, a, a New England primer, to uh, teach children. And they have been taught to children for generations. You think about how many generations of mothers and fathers have knelt by bedsides and rehearsed those words with their kids for the last 200 plus years. And over the years, of course, the, the prayer has suffered through many different versions. If, if you're a parent and if you've got trouble getting those kids to bed, there is a version for you also. It goes like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my sanity to keep. For if some peace I do not find, I'm pretty sure I'll lose my mind. You have to admit it's kind of a it's a grim prayer to teach children. If I should die before I wake, how many nightmares has that phrase inspired as kids lay there like, what's gonna happen? What what could go on? But but you think about it, two hundred years ago in New England, it was a, a very real concern. Disease would spread and there would be outbreaks and you know, things would come in and, and, and the weakest and often the youngest would die. And it was a very real reality that they lived with, the possibility that they might not make it through the night. And so it not only taught children the reality of life and death, but it gave them strength of faith, the knowledge that no matter what happens, God will keep me. That if my worst fears are realized and if I should die before I wake, I will awaken at home. My father will take me home. I want you to step back with me. Not 200 years, but step back with me about 2,000 years to a small village called Nazareth. And there's a young mother who has been busy all day with her three-year-old son. He is a handful. He is inquisitive. He is very active. And as rambunctious as her three-year-old son can be, so much of what he says and so much of what he does, she treasures up in her heart. Night has fallen, and she has made one last attempt to wipe the dirt off of his face. And she puts her son to bed. And after a story maybe a story about Joshua 
in the wall, and she reminds him, by the way, you're, you're named after Joshua, the one who saves the people. Or maybe it's the story of King David and Goliath, and he reminds her, he was my great-great-great-grandpa. I'm related to him. It's time for prayers. And Mary leads her son Jesus in a prayer that her mother had taught her and her mother before her had taught her, a prayer that goes back generations. You find it in Psalm 31. It is the first three verses, or excuse me, the first five verses of Psalm 31. The prayer goes like this. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. And just, just imagine for a moment a mother kneeling by a bedside and saying those words and hearing her three-year-old son repeat them back to her. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Never let me be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Honestly, that, that little story about Mary and her son, it's not as fanciful as you might think. That was the bedtime prayer of the Jewish people. For centuries, the Jewish people would recite those verses before bedtime. Just like kids learned, now I lay me down to sleep. And from the time that Jesus was old enough to speak, from the time Jesus was old enough to pray, he prayed those words, into your hands I commit my spirit until he prayed them one final time on the cross. When you consider the pain of the cross, when you consider the, the torture of crucifixion, the mental anguish, the physical trauma that the body goes through, we don't expect deep words here. We don't expect deep philosophical truths to be pronounced on the cross. And instead, what we find is Jesus speaking from His heart. And in this case, with these words, they are words that He had rehearsed over and over again. They were literally words that He knew by heart. And there is incredible strength in these words for us when we need strength, when we look for strength. These words didn't just come to Jesus as he hung on the cross. Rather, Jesus had hidden these words deep in his heart. We have seven famous last words, as we've called them. Seven sayings from the cross. Everything from, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, to the words that we will look at next week. Three simple words. It is finished. It's interesting to note that, that two of the phrases come from the Psalms. The one we looked at last week, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's from Psalm 22. And this phrase from Psalm 31. Two of those phrases come from the Psalms. In those final moments of his life, 
in those moments when he was most alone, when he was in, in incredible pain, Jesus' heart and his mind went back to the prayer book of the Bible, a book that you have with you, a book that's part of your Bible. Jesus' heart went back to the Psalms. And it reflects what we saw of him three years earlier. Three years earlier, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led out into the desert. He is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan comes to tempt him. He says, look at these stones. You're hungry? Take these stones and turn them into bread. And Jesus responds, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus responded to temptation with Scripture over and over again. And, and, you know, we get that. The Bible tells us itself. The Bible testifies about itself that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we know it's powerful. We know, it's, we know what it can do for us. But what Jesus shows us is how to take that truth seriously and how to make it benefit us at the worst of times. Jesus had hidden these words in His heart so that the Scriptures were at his disposal in that time of need. You know, we live in, in amazing times. And let me just ask this. First of all, how many of you have, have a smartphone? And how many of you have a Bible on your phone? You can, anyone who's got a Bible on their phone, raise your hand. Oh, I don't see them all. Okay, how many of you have a tablet and you have a Bible on your tablet? Keep your hands up. All right, let's just say this. How many of you have a, have a computer and on the computer, there's a Bible. And even if it's not on the Bible, you can go to a website and you can look. Yeah, look at that. You guys aren't some little old-fashioned church out in the middle of nowhere. You guys are on the cutting edge. It's amazing. Look at how many of you are, are using those things. And, you know, it's, it's incredible. We, we use the, uh, the Bible app here. And, and I upload every week. I upload my scriptures and sometimes my notes and little extras to the Bible app. And people come in here and they hook up to our Wi-Fi and at least I think this is what they're doing. They're, they're looking around. You know, maybe they're listening to some good preacher on there. I don't know. But they're, they're looking up my notes and they're finding them. And, and we study those together. We go through those together. The little free app connects us in amazing ways. I get up in the morning and I pull up my Bible app and it tells me what Andy Flukey was reading the night before. It tells me what he highlighted. And so the strength that Andy drew the night before from that Bible, or, or when Andy gets up earlier than me, which is a lot, you know, that, that's already there for me to draw from. I look at my Bible app and I see that Kyle Harrison is reading through the Bible, or, you know, reading a Bible study, and, and I'm like, holy cow, if Kyle can do it, I can do it too. You know? and, and so I start reading and, and I'm encouraged. And, and so those little blessings that you have from, from picking up on this verse, those become blessings for all of us that we all share together. Do you remember when we were in school? I'm talking about people about my age. Do you remember when we were in school and they told us in math class, you have to learn this because you won't always have a calculator with you? Guess what? I always have a calculator with me. Take that. I always have a Bible with me too. Those words are right there at my fingertips anytime I need them. And so... As we share that, your strength becomes my strength. We, we share those together. Jesus' statement here. And again, this was the evening prayer of the Jews. I want to read it one more time there in Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5. This was the evening prayer of the Jews. And it's a Psalm of David. 
And it says in verse 1, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Hanging on the cross. A death reserved for criminals for the worst. A death that was designed to shame people. That's why they did it. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you, for you are my rock and my fortress. And for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. You read those words. And I have to wonder, what's so important about that little passage? What is so important about those five little verses that an entire nation would commit them to memory? What is so powerful in those five verses that an entire people would put their children to bed night after night, rehearsing those words with them, night after night what's so necessary about those words and then you look at those words and you look at the promises that are there it's a prayer of trust for people who had been displaced for people who had been oppressed for people who had been pushed down they needed to know that there was someone they could trust it's a prayer of confidence he says god will deliver me not because i'm good enough <laughs> Not because I deserve it, but for His namesake. He will deliver me. Because He made a promise. Because He swore by Himself to keep that promise. So help me meet, God says. Because He swore to keep that promise, He will deliver me. You look at the hope that is, that is in the words of this prayer. It presents God as a rock. God as a fortress. God as a guide. You consider a God like that, and what else can you say to a God like that every night before you go to bed? What else can you say besides, into your hands? I commit my spirit. Who else would you trust with the responsibility of seeing you safely through the night and safely into eternity? It's not just something Jesus had because he was Jesus. This isn't just something that Jesus did because he was Jesus and this is the kind of thing that Jesus would do. It's because he hid these words in his heart. Every night, every Jew hoped that those words would be the last words before they fell asleep. And if they should die before they wake, they would be the very last words that they spoke. What Jesus leaves us with here isn't just words to ponder. He's, he's revealing to us His source of strength, and, and it's a source that we can tap into as well. And what Jesus shows us here is that we draw strength from the words that are hidden in our hearts as well. We draw strength from those words hidden in our hearts. There's a great passage in, in Luke chapter 6, Verse, uh, verse 45, where Jesus says, the good man uh, brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. 
And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then Jesus says, for out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Now I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't just apply those words to the good, to the faithful, he applies them to everyone. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever goes in, that's what's going to come out. And it doesn't take all that much for us to find out what's been going in, does it? Whatever we put into our hearts in those worst of times, it comes spilling out. I read an article a while back. The title of the article said, Swearing Increases Pain Tolerance. You and I spent money so the government could study this, by the way. What they did is they took a bunch of college students, they signed them up for this little study, and they asked these college students to list their five favorite cuss words. I would just like you to shout out your favorite five, right? No, don't do, don't do that right now. Don't do that right now. They asked these kids to write down their five favorite cuss words, and then they subjected them to a painful stimulus. I don't know exactly what that means, but it doesn't sound pleasant. And they told them not to say anything, to remain silent while they subjected them to a painful stimulus. And the kids, they, they couldn't bear very much pain. So they waited a while, let them recover. And then they subjected them to the same painful stimulus a second time, but this time they were to yell those five words over and over again. And what they discovered was that they were able to tolerate more pain when they cussed than when they simply remained silent. I think it's a great excuse, don't you? You know, maybe, maybe, no, we're not going to try that today. Because hear me out, I, I'm not encouraging you to cuss. But I think this is exactly what Jesus was saying in, in Luke chapter 6. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. And I, I guarantee you that if you hit your thumb with a hammer, the first words out of your mouth are not going to be, into your hands I commit my spirit. <laughs> You're probably not going to do that. If you do, good for you. That's great. But I, I wonder, what if they had conducted this same study, but instead of using curse words, they use words of blessing. What would have happened if they had conducted this study on people who had hidden the Word of God in their heart to where the Word of God was what would come out? I wonder if they would have found the same tolerance. I wonder if they would have found a greater tolerance for those that had hidden the Word in their heart. That's Psalm 119, verse, verse 11. You remember that verse? That I have hidden your word, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's, a, that's an incredible verse. You know, the thing about that verse is you don't wait and do that in the worst of times. You don't wait and do that when your life is falling apart, when you get that call from the doctor, when you get that phone call late at night. That's not the time when you start storing those things up in your heart. You begin doing that in the good times. What Jesus shows us from the cross 
is that the things that he filled his heart with, with through his lifetime, those came out. Those things gave him strength. And they give others strength as well. Because this goes beyond our own pain. This is more than just about our pain or our trouble. What we have to realize is the world, the world is watching. And the world is listening. This past week, I conducted a study of my own. I did not ask you what your favorite cuss words were. <laughs> I probably know them already. Instead, I, I sent out a question in my Tuesday email. And I got 76 people get my Tuesdays and Friday emails. I love the interactions that we have with those. I sent out uh, a question. And I said, in those difficult times, in those difficult times that you face, what verse comes back to mind? What promise do you trust in through those sleepless nights? What gives you hope in hopeless moments? I got a lot of responses to that question. Some of them I got back. I got one from my little sister, Camille. She says that she trusts in Psalm 105, verse 4, seek the Lord and His strength, seek His presence continually. Paul Honnold has one of my favorites too. Romans 8, 35, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? One of the uh, responses was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Rosie Harrington submitted that one. So did Sherry Goff. So did Shelley Camp. And so did Missy Bartell. All of them relying on that scripture. Bob Webb gave us Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Donna Goddard and Sue Vale both responded with, but they who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall, mount, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It's Isaiah 40 verse 31. What I loved about reading these responses, what struck me is how you chose those verses. For some of you, they were lifelong verses. And some of you told me your stories behind those verses. And you said, these were lifelong verses. You learned it as a kid, and you just kept it there. And I think that's wonderful. It, it's kind of like carrying a compass with you and always, always seeing where that needle's pointing. That needle's always going to point north, and so you're always going to go in that, that direction. But, but for others of you, it was a verse that you found after a very difficult time, something that you had gone through, something that you had suffered through, and you found this verse, and it righted your course, and it pointed you back in the right way. I love Maxine's response. Maxine's verse was Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And Maxine's reason for trusting in that verse was completely different than any reason I could have. Maxine's reason is because she knows someone pure of heart, Jason, her son. And the promise of God is that Jason always sees God now. It's a beautiful verse to, to appropriate and take in as your own. The world is watching. And they're listening. Oh, do they listen to us? And it's just like, it's just like they're waiting for you to, to hit your thumb with a hammer <laughs> so that they can hear what you're going to say, so that they can hear your reaction. You hear it even in this story. Jesus cries out. 
he cries out and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then you read in verse, 30, or verse 47, now when a centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. He didn't say that just because he had watched Jesus die. He said that because he heard what Jesus had said. He heard what came out of his heart. And he recognized his righteousness. He recognized his trust in God through that prayer. I want you to notice one other thing about this passage. Jesus didn't just pray this. It doesn't say that Jesus just simply prayed it. It doesn't say that Jesus just said this. It says there in verse 46, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Loud voice, right? You get that? Look on down a few verses. Look at verse 49. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. All of his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Who was among those women? Who was there? His mother. His mother Mary, who taught him these words, who went over these words every night when he was growing up. His mother, who must have beamed with pride the first night he said them by himself without any prompting. I didn't even have to get him started. He didn't even mess up. He pronounced everything perfectly. His mother, who, who beamed with pride in that moment, she stood at a distance watching I have to wonder, did he shout these words so that his mother could hear him? Did he shout these words so that he could show her that he was dying the way that she had taught him how to live? There's a lot of voices speaking into our lives these days. Some of them are good. Some of them just sound good. I see some of the stuff that passes for wisdom these days. Usually it's posted on Facebook. Sometimes there's a pretty sunset behind it. Sometimes there's a, there's a nice scene and, and a pretty font, and there's those words. <clears throat> a lot of those words play on our emotions. They play on our needs. Sometimes those words say things that we want to hear but they never confront the problem. They never address our pain, and they never call for change within us. And, and I'm cautious of those words. I, I like to hold them up against the Bible and say, does this, does this measure up? Does this have the ring of truth behind it, the way that this sounds like truth? It occurs to me also that the words that you've hidden in your heart, they might not be Scripture. They might not even be curse words. They might not even be your words. They might be someone else's words. You may have hidden in your heart 
the lies that someone else told you. Lies they told you about you. The words hidden in your heart might be words like, you're worthless, you're lazy, you're pathetic, you're a failure. And what flows out of your mouth from your heart isn't yours, and it's not the Word of God, it's the lies someone else told you about you. So what happens when you start replacing those words with the Word of God? What happens when you replace those words with God's Word about you? What happens when you replace the broken promises of other people with the promises that God keeps perfectly? And maybe your first thought is, Brett, it's a big book. (laughs) Where do I start? I don't know where to look stuff up. How do I find those words? We want to help you with that. Back in the back of the auditorium, you're going to find this little booklet that I put together. I didn't want, I couldn't possibly use all of the responses that I got for those uh, scriptures that I asked you for. I couldn't read them all up there. So I printed them all up and I put them in this little booklet. All of your responses are here. And if you have more responses and you'd like me to add to them, we can, we can continue to grow this. But these are the favorite scriptures of Kansas Christian Church. These are your favorite scriptures. These are what you hold on to. And these, in many ways, are, are your stories. And maybe, maybe you pick one of these up today and maybe someone else's words become your words. Maybe someone else's strength becomes your strength. Maybe you read that name and you say, I need to know that person a little better. I need to understand why they trust in that because maybe, maybe I can trust in it too. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment. And I really think this song is a great reminder of what we've seen through this series. They're these famous last words of Jesus on the cross. What, what do we see? We see forgiveness being offered to those who were doing Him harm. Uh, forgiveness offered to those who were killing Him. Uh, we see paradise offered to a thief who didn't deserve it, and yet he asked, and God gave him paradise. And we see relationships not only restored, but changed as, as Mary becomes a mother to Jesus' friend John, and, and as John becomes a son to Jesus' mother. And here, in these words, we find the ultimate trust that we can put in the only one to whom we can trust our spirits. The only one to whom we can trust our spirits. Not only to see us through the night, to see us through those really dark days too. And to see us into eternity. And what you find in these words, what will you find in these words? What will you find in these hearts? In the words that people have hidden? What are you going to find when we come near the cross? Father, what must it have been like for you to hear your son pray those words into your hands, I commit my spirit? What must it be like for you when, when one of us reaches that moment when we realize we have no more strength within ourselves, we have no more ability within ourselves, we can't fix it, we can't make it right, we have nowhere else to turn but to you. 
We just simply say, Lord, in, in your hands, I'm going to commit my spirit. In, into your hands, I'm going to trust that you are a rock, that you are a refuge, that you can be my guide and get me through this difficult time. We come to the table again tonight, today, Lord, to remember the price that was paid, not only for our salvation, not only for the forgiveness of our sin, but the price that was paid so that we could truly know who you are and what you offer us. We love you, Father. Thank you for the way you call us to yourself. And we thank you for the way you keep every promise perfect. It's in Jesus' name we pray.